There's the note that says that we're being recorded, which means that this is episode 40 of Both Laugh, the Dying Scene Quarantine Chat Show. Uh, and for episode 40, we are going international again. Uh, joining us from 12 hours in the future from Shanghai, uh, we have Chachi from the band Round Eye. Chachi, thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so how are what I've what I've really been starting most of these episodes off because this show really only started during the pandemic uh, because we had no shows to go take pictures of and no bands sure. were touring. So um, it was really a way to talk about what people were doing in the downtime. Uh, what would 2020 have looked like for you had uh, the pandemic not happened? What was on the radar for you last year that got shelved or whatever? Oh, well, if, okay, so what would it have looked like if, if COVID didn't exist? Yeah. Uh, well, we would have still had Hong Kong. <laughs> <laughs> Hong Kong would have still been there. We were actually slated to open up for Black Flag in Hong Kong. Wow. And then uh, a combination of things happened, COVID and along with the CCP kind of asserting control over there. Um. Then we were supposed to go play Rebellion Festival. We were going, we were going to tour Europe, we going to tour the States. Um, you know, everything dealing with traveling. And it was a large tour. It was about 65 dates. Wow. And uh, I think the only thing that went through that we planned for last, for last year that actually came through was the digital release of the album. Yeah, the album came out officially i guess digitally what july maybe of last year on paper and plastic correct yes and How? then uh joe, huh oh go ahead and then joey shithead of sudden death picked it up and did the physical release what's the actual physical release date do you have that because i i don't have it man you know it was supposed to be a month and a half ago but covid you know the usual pressing plant that we went through rainbow records got shut down last year, unfortunately. And, uh, URP, the guys who we've been going through now, they've been really just hard pressed. Like a lot of all the businesses that were originally at rainbow went over there. So everything got delayed. So now they just literally two weeks ago told me the production was finished and they're now on their way to distributors. So I guess in a week. So eminently, that's great. That's a long time coming. Yeah. Is it? Yeah, is it, man. Is it everything, still as, everything? Is it still as rewarding when uh, an album comes out after delays and delays and delays? Like, because I, I would assume that if you've got the album done and ready to go, and people can hear it digitally, especially, is it sort of anticlimactic when the physical one comes out, or is it still pretty awesome to have something? Physical? Well, for me, I, I don't know about you, but I listen to my records. I like to listen to them in one sitting and physically. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it kind of felt like the record just never came out until I have it in my hands, you know? Right. And uh, so now it actually feels like it's finally arriving. Because the digital release kind of felt like a stillborn child, you know? Right, right. <laughs> Sadly, but true. <laughs> um, you know, it was, it was there, yeah, but the, the, the full... I don't know. You don't get the same feel digitally. You know, you got like the weird stops when on MP3s and it just doesn't flow. And plus also the vinyl release has, uh, we rearranged tracks and we actually added some uh, smaller things. And uh, it just, it feels much more like what we intended. It seems 
any physical release seems more like an art pro like a piece of art rather than just like watching a tv show or like like oh for sure digital I mean, releases I seem like just watching a tv show on netflix or something you know like the thing that's bugged me ever since uh i mean i'm call me old school whatever but i don't know i just like looking at the covers when i'm listening to the album and yeah. I, I like uh looking at the cover looking you know reading the names even though i don't know who the names are but it, it, you know I, I do some investigation i just like doing investigation work when i listen to records see if there's anything i recognize I, i'll even read the special thanks you know that's how i that's how i found out about a lot of the bands that i listened to today when i was a kid was the special thanks section oh absolutely that, that's how you that's how you discovered new music like if there was a label that put out an album that you liked then you looked at who else was on the label and uh who those people used to be in bands with and all that shit yeah that was the best part right. of and also out at the record store exactly and with this record in particular, the lyrics are fairly, I mean, pretty important considering the subject matter. Uh, this record, we're kind of just focused entirely on the CCP. So it's, it, it makes a big difference to know what we're singing about on this one. I mean, yeah, not, yeah. That, not that it didn't in the previous releases, but a lot of people aren't aware of what's really going on out here. Yeah, and I'm probably chief among them. I like to think that I'm uh well versed and well read except that i mean even musically my my knowledge of chinese music essentially starts and ends with car sick cars and i don't even know how i how they came across my radar a handful of years ago so i'm very much in the dark about uh about the culture and about the scene and about politically what goes on there because we sure. sort of we car obviously cars, get... i mean that makes sense for car sick cars car sick cars was uh I mean, they're a big, they're a big indie band. They're probably the biggest, one of the biggest indie bands, especially culturally out here. Those guys are what kind of uh, threw the doors open in terms of okay. the Chinese underground. Yeah. Especially with their anthem song, Jongnan Hai. So, but there's, I mean, there's like a, a lot of other bands in that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, I'm sure. I just, it's, I, I guess I live in a bubble as much as I like to think that I don't uh as a proud massachusetts progressive liberal or whatever I well no i mean it's <laughs> it's just inevitable that you would you would be like that because those guys don't get a lot of coverage yeah and it's it's very difficult for them to get outside because uh i mean just the legalities and the paperwork everything like that and, and the chinese market the chinese music market is kind of insular you don't see a lot of those guys coming going out too often Every once in a while, you see something like Retros opening up for Depeche Mode or oh, an okay. exhibition of Modern Sky show in Seattle or New York. But they don't really, some of them tour a lot, like Demerit and SMZ, but it's not a very common thing. When you say tour, that doesn't mean just inside China. That means outside uh, China, right? Oh, that's, yeah, that's what I mean, outside, yeah. outside China. Is it easier for an expat band to tour outside China than it is for? for native Chinese or, or does it not oh, yeah. make a difference? Well, it depends where that expat's coming from. Okay. But if, see, I have an American passport and round eye, we have how many nationalities? We have uh, three nationalities in our band now, American, Irish, and Italian. Yep. And for the most part, when it comes to Western countries, it's, it's hasn't been problems with our tours, but sometimes you get to a, an area where it could be a little hazy. You know the the law the the legalities of going to see, to these places, like like whenever we would tour Eastern Europe, you know it's uh, 
it's a little it's a little tricky. Like I would need a visa, and some and the other guys would not. Italy, oh, okay. For instance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought about or, that. Yeah, like like we would we did Ukraine a few years ago, and I think I think our Italian bass player would have been okay, but I needed the visa. I needed the extra visa to get in there. And that stuff, uh, you have to line up months in advance, I would imagine, right? I mean, granted, you're probably going to line up oh, yeah. months in advance anyway, but, but to we'll have line all those up in extra advance, steps. For sure. And a lot of these countries, you know, thankfully have like the visa, like once you arrive there, like Cambodia does it the same way too. Vietnam, a lot of Southeastern Asian countries do that, where you get the visa when you arrive there. Oh, okay. But you still need the paperwork to get in. Right. Um, how so quickly- yeah, that's... Uh, it is easier to tour outside of China as a foreigner, though, to leave the country, because as a Chinese citizen, you're going to be facing a lot of stuff that's kind of built into the system, the Chinese system, not the foreign system, but the Chinese system to prevent them from coming out. They have a lot of loop, loopholes they need to jump through in getting out of here. Is that a is that based out of fear of them staying when they leave? Uh, probably partly. Yeah. I mean, sort I mean, of I like, that, um, sort of like Cubans in baseball, right? Like the, the way that the Cuban government didn't want people to leave because a little bit, a little they, bit. Yeah. They would I mean, stay. the laws here were concerning that change kind of drastically every year. Okay. But, uh, I remember for a long period of time, if you had to be, so it depends on what province you're from too. I think people from Shanghai could tend to they have kind of an easier way of going and traveling outside of China than people from say Anhui province or something like that. Um, I know for a long time, some of my friends needed to have a certain amount of money in their bank account in order to leave the country, or they had to have a certain amount of travel experience on their passports. So if it was their first time traveling out of, out of the country, I don't think they would have been able to get an American visa. Really? (laughs) Yeah, it depends. It's it's not the same for everybody. All the provinces are not uniform. That seems bizarre. It's China. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> uh, how quickly in the into the pandemic did you guys realize that um, your plans were going to have to change? Uh, was it sort of right at the beginning, or and I can't even remember. Well, it's the funny timeline. in the beginning. I remember in the beginning that everybody thought that our plans were going to change because of our situation, because of the yeah. Chinese side. We did not, I didn't anticipate it just completely leveling earth. You know what I mean? Right. The way it did at least the Western world. No, I guess India too. Right. Yeah. Um, I didn't anticipate the rest of everybody just kind of shitting the bed. You know, uh, I thought China was going to be, I thought we were going to be in this in the situation you were in for the past year. So did I. <laughs> so did I. I mean, I really did. And I've lived here. I've lived here for a long time, almost a decade. No, I've lived yeah. here for more than a decade. And, you know, China, Shanghai, yes, is a very modern, modern city now. But if you all you have to do is go 30 minutes outside of the city and you're right back into the wet markets and, and unsan, you know, the guys just spitting. It's just kind of unsanitary. And you know? a lot of parts of China are almost third world. So when I first started hearing of COVID, I really wasn't surprised at all. I mean, I was I was like, well, I'm surprised it didn't happen sooner. You know, it's yeah, yeah. the way that uh, things are here. It's not down in the country, but it's just, you know, there's not a lot of sanitation with these places. And, and then look what happened. 
How quickly I mean, did the tide turn there? I mean, how bad? Oh, it was, obviously that was sort of the, like the origin, but how quickly did things get better? You know, one thing I will say about uh, how the Chinese run things with this, you know, with how the CCP has been doing things is when they want to shut the place down, they'll shut it down. Yeah. And nothing became, nobody became like, oh, you're treading on my rights with the mask and all that crap. Because if you did that, you'd go to a gulag. Well, right. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm making light of it now, but it's, you know, you, you got to give credit where credit's due. We are out of it. And, you know, they, it's, it's amazing that it happened that way, but it's an, it came at an unfortunate cost. Uh, Wuhan was devastated and the numbers that the Chinese government have been offering up in terms of casualties is complete bullshit. No yeah, way. Of course. I remember, I remember the first couple of weeks that that started happening when they started hushing up the doctors uh, we have a social platform out here called WeChat. And I remember seeing all sorts of posts from nurses and doctors and civilians in Wuhan just saying, you know, really freaking out and saying that there's a big cover up. And everybody around here was like, oh, they're just it's just uh, uh, sensationalist news. Don't listen to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, why yeah. are you spreading this information? Why are you, why are you panicking everybody? And look what happened. We sort of. So, sort I mean, of yeah, everything got shut down pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah, we did. We did. We sort of had but both for, sides of that. Know, thankfully, on this they side. shut everything down. And, and, yeah, I definitely witnessed. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, you know, and I can't. It's not just the government. Yeah, the government shut everything down. The people followed suit. Nobody was playing around with this. Nobody. I didn't hear none of my Chinese friends. Nobody. Everybody just kind of did what was expected of them. You know what I mean? We were kind of, we treated it seriously. And uh, there wasn't any sort of, conver there wasn't any sort of debate about whether you should wear a mask or, or the efficiency of a mask or what the symbolism of a mask or anything. It was just, okay, this is like SARS. Let's, uh, you know, let's, let's act accordingly. And we just, we just, you know, the whole country just shut up and it was just silent for a month. So when did it seem like things were back to normal there or, or as close to normal as they were going to be? I mean, it's been a okay, while. So right? December. Yeah, it has been a, almost, it's been more than a year. So I remember we did a streaming show here around early April or late March and things were still locked down then. And then we, I remember the first public show that I went to was in Hangzhou granted there was a lot of stuff that i had to go through a lot of hazmat suits that i had to go through and uh hangzhou is a city about 150 kilometers west of here and i had to take the speed train and in order to do that you need your passport and you need all the stuff and yeah it was it was difficult to get there and there was a lot of checkpoints and a lot of questions but i got there and i stayed at a hotel and everything was okay so that was that was late april and so we've been normal for over a year I was gonna and say, when i be my normal for the record, it's, that's uh, April of 2020, April of last year. Correct, yeah, <laughs> April of 2020. <laughs> so for comparison's sake, as I started, as we started talking, uh, Massachusetts is pretty pretty good. Our COVID numbers are really good. Our vaccination rates are pretty good. The first Great. show, last night was the first show I had been to in 472 days. Last night was the first time I like saw live music since March of last year i'm so sorry man that's awful 
and, and there are no seriously that's, that's really i can't even imagine that that's really awful there are parts of this country where i still where i wouldn't go to a show if it were on because there are i mean there are still high covid rates there are really low vaccination rates in where is parts. that um you figure the bible belt really i mean i was i was listening of course, to right? a thing on npr the other day and they were they were talking to a doctor or the head of a um, of a medical unit in Southwest Missouri. And he was talking about um, that they're seeing COVID numbers in their hospital as high as they've ever been. And that there's been a shift in the attitude of the nurses and the hospital staff, because the number, the people that they were seeing early on during the, the crisis, it was like, we're all in this together. It sucks, but you know, we'll get through this, da, 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 da. But now that we're a year past that point and people have had the opportunity to get vaccines at least since January, all of the cases that they see now are entirely preventable, right? And so so everybody that's flooding the hospitals now in certain places, but it's especially the red territories, it's especially the rural territories, and it's especially the evangelical territories. where it's all cases that could have been preventable and they're still seeing a lot of patients that don't believe that they have COVID, that they still think it's a government conspiracy or a Chinese conspiracy or et cetera, that they don't have it. Mind you, they're on uh, death's door because they're in the hospital and on ventilators and still uh, don't oh, but think it's okay, that they man. have it. They got the power of Christ. It's so bizarre to me. It is, it is. And so that's kind of what the doctor was saying that the nurses used to be all, in unison and now they're just like you morons this was completely preventable this is completely and entirely your fault you know god you know it makes me wonder like i wonder how this whole thing would have turned out if it wasn't an election year yeah uh i don't know if it would have been better or worse given who was in charge last year and who's in charge now what our options were i don't know if it would have been better or worse yeah that's a shame. That's really, I mean, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, I grew up in Florida, so. Well, so, okay. I mean, it, it doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about Culture Shock Treatment because uh, it's a really cool album and it's a fun album and you recorded with Mike Watt. And how awesome is recording with Mike Watt? Because uh, he is one of those guys on my list. I've had the opportunity to interview him and to meet him in person. And he's just, he's like one of those guys that's up on that pedestal. Well, the question, what was it, what was it like recording with him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did that come about? And then what was it like recording with him? Uh, the connect between us and Watt was uh, our first saxophone player was uh, one of our first saxophone players was Steve McKay of the Stooges. Okay. And uh, so he was, you know, because Mike was a Stooge for almost 10 years, right? And uh and so my, you know, we, we used to tour China with Steve and we, every time we'd go and play the Bay area, Steve would come out and sit in with us on a set. And, uh, and then one day we just started talking about it. I was like, what do you think Mike would like coming out here? He goes, are you kidding me? Of course he would. <laughs> and so we got in touch with him and lo and behold, he would, but it took a couple of years to, you know, to really flesh it out and get him, get every, cause he's busy, you know, he's always jamming Econo, right? Yeah. Right. And so, uh, but finally the stars lined up and we got him out here and we really hit it off. It was just, an, it was an excellent experience. He's such a sweetheart. You know, I love that guy. And, uh, we just developed a fantastic rapport. And then, 
the years after that, every time we went to Pedro, he would come out to see us. We'd be hanging out with the, the recess records guys and toys that kill guys and, uh, Sacrum trust. And it's just all, all those guys hang out together. You know, they're all, yeah. they all go to the same, they all heck, they all heckle each other at their own shows. And <laughs> it's just a very, very, fam- it's very familial. It's really nice. And uh homey whenever you play, play that it's not like playing in LA. It's it, Pedro is a very different thing. Yeah. And, uh, and then one day, we were all just sitting around talking and then uh we asked you know we told him we wanted to record an album he goes well, uh i want to do it <laughs> and i was like yeah no problem you know i'm not gonna fight you on that right and then once once we once we agreed to do it uh we asked him if, you know if he could produce it and you know guide us through it he said okay well uh if we're gonna do this you know you gotta have faith in me right and you gotta you know just trust me right and we're then we just we just went ahead and and went with it i mean that guy's our hero you know for the longest i mean i've loved pretty much everything we've ever done and uh so yeah it was he's like family to us we love him we trust him completely did it change the dynamic working with him because i could see where he might be a little uh different in the recording studio than maybe uh when you're just jamming on the road or whatever he seems like he has. Well, like- the nice thing about him is, well, he just he the the lovely thing about Watt is he knows, because that guy he's one of those musicians that's famous amongst famous people. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you learn to just drop any sort of ego right at, right away, and he learns how to rein in the bullshit. You know what I mean? And he just kind of reminds you to keep the danger inside the ribbon. So mistakes and all that. He has a very you know, Coltrane's spirit lives in this guy. So he, he just, uh, he, he makes the artist breathe. And I really, really appreciate that about him. You, you kind of, there's no, very, very, the, the, the time that you spend in the studio dwindles dramatically. I mean, in our case anyway. So it was like, I think it was three full days. Really? And we were just, you know, using the force with him. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's- it's very old school. Yeah. Yeah, real. I mean, so that's strange by current standards, it, or at least it seems that way. Especially because it was to me, it's not like you recorded an EP. There's 15 songs on the album, or whatever. Like, it's yeah, yeah. it's it's a full length album, uh, and there's a lot going on we, on that album, and there's a lot of different sounds and the textures and whatever. Yeah, and, and, you know. And also, I mean, we practiced a lot when we when we figured out and, cut and had everything in concrete, let. We're going to be recording with Watt on this day. We set aside a week before we went on tour in America with uh, MDC and Verbal Abuse. And we set aside a week before we went on that tour to work with Watt and Pedro. And so we practiced for months and months and months. So we, when we went in there, everything, it didn't take many takes. It took maybe two takes, three takes each song, sometimes one. And we were just pretty, we were ready to go. Watt, Watt would... Uh, he would guide us when it came to like the, the arrangements of, uh, or the attitude of the song. You know what I mean? Like he was like, I, I don't believe you play, play it again, play like, a <laughs> play like you're playing the good one, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so he'd fuck with us the whole time, but it, it was all in love. I, I can picture him saying, like, getting the opportunity to pick his brain. Oh God, it's gotta be a couple of years ago now when, I forget even what project 
uh, I was interviewing him for because they all kind of weave together in my brain. But getting the opportunity to pick his brain about his musical career and whatever is one of the the highlights for me of doing this whole punk rock interview thing. It's he's absolutely such a unique individual, and the people that, like you said before, he's a rock star among the rock stars, like. The people who are impressed that you got to pick Mike Watts' brain are like, whoa, you got to pick Mike, Mike Watts' brain? And I got half the people I know don't know what that means, but then the other half are like, holy shit, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, I mean, think of in our position, we were like, Jesus, I can't believe he agreed to do this, you know, because yeah. it's not like it wasn't like a hired gun thing. It was, it was, he was, he wanted to do it as a friend, you know what yeah. I mean? So we were just like, okay, well, let's see where the ship sails to. You know, and uh, it was it was amazing. <laughs> it was great. And it, it what's even more impressive is that the what we got to meet Pizzo and Pizzo is the organist of uh, the second men. Oh, okay, and yeah. this guy is like a tech, like a tech wizard. This guy could just he's like MacGyver. You know, he could just build anything. He's and he's such a friendly, friendly guy. And, he, and uh, what, how this came together was Pizzo and Watt were building a studio at Pizzo's house called and they called the studio casa hanzo named after these japanese smut films <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah yeah and uh and we were like the guinea pig of his studio you know oh, I mean? wow. yeah and so he you know we we were testing out the the room <laughs> yeah. that's wild yeah that's wild um and then you got bill stevenson to mix the album which seems like i mean Watt and stevenson at least in my in my personal opinion are like there to for like neck and neck oh, in no, terms I of I importance mean, it's when the, with that combination we were we were blessed i mean we got really lucky like yeah. uh we toured with the descendants in china and when we were on tour in with MDC and verbal abuse, uh, we, we stopped, we had a show at the Black Sheep in uh, Fort Collins. I think it's called the Black Sheep. And uh, and Bill came out. I don't know, it wasn't called the Black Sheep. Anyway, whatever it was called, uh, Bill came out to the gig and then we had breakfast with him, we hung out with him. And then we, were, we, we mentioned that we were recording an album and we mentioned that Watt was doing it. And he said, do you mind if I help you with the mixing and mastering? And I was like, yeah no of course no you know what i mean yes of course dude right and so uh everything just kind of fell into place it was it was really really amazing how that worked out and after we agreed to that um bill showed us uh the blasting room and showed us how that worked and he said he and then bill started saying that he wanted to do it himself because he told us that with what the blasting room does with a lot of the fat record stuff he's just a little clean and he understood that we wanted kind of an old school dirty sound yeah, yeah. you know what i mean well, so bill offered to do it himself because usually at the blasting room it's uh, uh the name escapes me but it's another guy who usually does a lot of that work well that's sort of what and bill did me. it on his off time that's sort of what caught me uh or piqued my interest about it is because you're right you familiarize yourself with the stuff that's been done at the blasting room and it's big polished like punk rock albums whether it's descendants or face to face or like you said all the fat records albums and they have this big Thanks. polished sound and and that's mm. not 
necessarily round eye. There's a lot more chaos and sort of like like a car accident sometimes in a round eye song. Right. And so you like want to sort of preserve. I don't that. think we if it was a normal blasting room kind of situation, I don't think we would have won with it. Just yeah. because it just would have been incongruous. It would have it wouldn't have fit. But when he mentioned when he said specifically that, when when he said that sentence, uh, it was almost verbatim. I was like, it convinced me that I was like, okay, he, he understands. Yeah. So. Um, and excited. also just he wanted to work with Watt. <laughs> <laughs> Those guys, man, they're like they're, you know, they've been through the every they're like war friends, you know what I mean? Right, right. Um, I'm excited for people to get their hands on physical copies of it. It's a, it's a cool album. It's a fun album. Um, like oh, I, I said, hope when they do, they take pictures because we won't be able to get physical copies until the borders open. So I won't even see this thing until, I mean, I hope I can get a copy. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I hadn't even thought about that, but it, it won't be available commercially inside China for a while. No. It, and, and we won't, the borders, it is so hard for my parents to send me a care package. So it's like, I'm never going to see this thing by mail. I have to, we're going to have to go on tour to get it ourselves. So that's, that's kind of a shame for us, but everyone else can get one. <laughs> that's yeah. Boy, I hadn't even thought about that until now. Yeah. Are there places where, I mean, where it will be available commercially in China, just that that's down the road or is that not even a thing um you know when it comes to commercial distribution from the west to, to the east to china they don't really have too many ties for instance uh one of my good friends here he owns probably one of the very few uh independent record stores here called uptown records and he's always making back and forth trips between here and japan you know what i mean in the in the junkyards of japan digging through records yeah, and yeah. then bringing them over here and going through all of these customs loopholes you know claiming it as a gift and all this crap he does this all the time in order to keep his business alive here so I, it, there's no there's no real relationship with distributors in the east meaning china and okay. in the western whatever. so yeah that's why we're not going to get it plus the taxes would just be ridiculous in getting it through customs oh yeah yeah, yeah. right so, so yeah I mean, we, we've never been able to do that most of our most of our records on vinyl, if it's if you ever see it in China, it's because somebody in this camp brought it here. Yeah. That's that's got to be I mean, because, you know, obviously, like you said before, the a physical copy of an album is like is what it's all about. Right. That's that's oh, the yeah. end product. And so that's got to be especially frustrating to know that it exists and that you made it and that you can't see it for a year or whatever after it comes out yeah it's frustrating because then i you know i won't even know if like the print is correct <laughs> yeah right you know i mean i won't know anything until i actually see this thing so hopefully it comes out okay i hope people are listening to the you know what we intended i think i think it will be the, the I, I trust the people that listen to the test pressings and saw the test all that stuff so so it should be okay how quickly does it seem like uh, things might open up? Like, what are you able to do now tour wise and show wise and stuff like that? And does it seem like things might open up so that you can leave China and take the act on the road? Um, I mean, we've been touring domestically for the past year. So we've, I mean, it's kind of interesting because we've been going to parts of China that I never thought I'd really ever play at, you know, especially when it comes to territories closer to Xinjiang, you know, mm. um, 
and we've been all over the place. I mean, we're going, trying to go to, Har, you know, Harbin, Qingdao, Guangzhou, uh, just all over the country. So that's nice. That's cool. But it's, it's, uh, it's not the same. So it's, we just have not been able to get out of here. Just, we can physically leave, but coming back, you're going to have to do 14 days quarantine in a hotel that you have to pay for. And then seven more days quarantine inside your own home. Really? So that's, yeah. Yeah. And that, and all of that, that can change tomorrow. Yeah. So we're just waiting for that to, to, to loosen up. And plus we're bordering a really hot country right now. So that's not helping things. Yeah. Right. India. Right. Man. So, um, yeah, we're kind of stuck here. That's frustrating. Did that answer your question? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, so it looks like essentially just touring again within China for the foreseeable future. Yeah, but that's the that's kind of a, a pain because yeah. we're foreigners, right? So we are kind of operating incognito. It's very, very difficult for foreigners to perform here just on a regular basis. Like for in order the process that you would go through for a major act in the States to play, say, you know, a 2000 capacity venue is the same process that we go through to play a piece of shit dive bar down the street that holds 50 people. Really? You know what I mean? So we, we'd have to give them all our tax information, our visas, our lyrics, our videos, our uh, pay a $3,000, like, or Kwai R&B, so $500. Uh, retainer fee and all this it's a lot of bullshit that we have to go through in order to become legally able to play anywhere in china and then like you said that's including like like dive bars or whatever yeah that's including you know joe's pub you know and and if and if you don't follow those guidelines then you're at risk of the ministry of culture coming to your show and really fucking shit up and we've had run-ins with them before, so we kind of like to avoid it. And so, you know, that's just for playing shows. So for getting on a label here or getting on a streaming service here or getting on a, anything here, I mean, you're always under the microscope. So it's not a lot of freedom. So anytime you see a foreign band playing out here, they're usually operating in a very gray area. It's not completely legal. And if it is completely legal, they pay the hell of a lot of money. When you say so form, like, like for example, when Descendants toured there or uh, whatever, is, is that what you're talking about? Were they sort of navigating in a gray area or? Descendants was, uh, they had their artist visa, but each city that they played in had different rules and the rules are very unclear. So for instance, uh, with the Descendants, when we were playing in Beijing, um, this, uh, we were playing in Beijing and the, the first opening band was a local Chinese band called uh, Hangnail at the time. I think they broke up now, but Hangnail. They were playing and the drummer took off his shirt. And then all of a sudden, the, not, you know, the promoter and the owner of the club and my tour manager, they all came up to me and said, Chachi, we need to come outside. There's a problem. And uh, then I went over there and I, there was a Ministry of Culture officer there. And he said, he was pointing at the drummer. And he said, we're going to shut the show down if, you, if that drummer doesn't put a shirt on. And so I was like, okay. <laughs> and so I, took, I ran over to our merch table. I threw him around my shirt. I said, put it on. I'll tell you later. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he put it on. And uh, 
we saved the show. <laughs> yeah. How many people come out to a Descendants show in Beijing or wherever that was? Well, again, with the, the biggest crowd that they had on that tour was in Shanghai. And okay. that's that's where we are, right? Yeah. But it wasn't because of that. It was because when promoting these shows, again, you have to go through the same channels. You have to go through submit the same amount of things and maybe the paperwork doesn't even get in there on time. You know what I mean? So it doesn't spread through the same channels that a local band would spread through. Um, I think, so all of the clubs that they played, they were all about a thousand capacity. Shanghai was about 600 capacity venue and Shanghai, we had about 500 people. Wow. And then Beijing was like 300 people. And in Guangzhou, it was, it, it got lower around that area. Because Guangzhou and Shenzhen, they played those two cities and they're very close to each other. Oh, okay. So had they played just one of those things, it would have combined the audiences, which is what usually touring bands do out here. But at, actually at the same time, there was a typhoon heading through there. And that's, I actually had to miss that flight because of the typhoon. Wow. They were already there. <laughs> yeah it's always an adventure out here for sure yeah seriously god bless you for doing it i uh a lot of respect and appreciation you know, for what you do i mean i was i was stoked too i've never seen the descendants you know what i mean so i was i was very happy to get them there that's what you know you never even saw them stateside no that wow. was my first time seeing them that's awesome yeah, and it was great. And then not only did we get to see him, but we got to become buddies and, you know, yeah. and then look at him on our album. It's great. It was really a lot of fun. And it was a lot of work. And it was, you know, I thought I was probably, you know, those times where I was kind of worried I was going to go to jail a few times. But, uh, yeah, we got through it. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I appreciate you doing this. I appreciate you taking time out of your evening to do this. 